The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Get up with us this morning and look at the sun outside. Yeah, man, not a bad drive coming in, guys. No, nice and pretty. So, good morning, Kenneth. Good morning, Jim. Glad to have us all here together. Howdy, howdy, howdy. howdy. Good to see both of y'all. How was everybody's week? Mine too bad. Yeah, it was the Memorial Day weekend. Felt a little humidity creeping in this week, though. And we've had it so good this whole spring, though. Really, I mean, other than some of the, you know, the rain that Mm -hmm. we did need. But as far as temperatures go... Man, it's been pretty nice I'll so ta- far. I'll take this every every May, actually. I like it. Yeah, man, me and a customer were talking about, you know, the humidity the other day. And if I could even say that word yet, oh, I hate to even say it. And she's like, you know, we really shouldn't be complaining. I said, mm-hmm. no, we should, mm-hmm. you know, because we've had it really nice and low humidity. And I'm just, you know, the older I get, the more I just don't like it, you know. But plants are going crazy. Uh, it seems like most of the plants, most of them, mm-hmm. that are going to flush back out, have flushed back out from the crazy, yep. you know, week yeah. we had, um, you know, last winter. And there's still some plants that are just maybe they might make it, they might not, you yeah. know. But overall, everything's looking pretty good out there. Yeah, I was looking at the Indian hawthorns. Oh, yeah. And you know how we were saying dig them up or, uh, you know, we don't want to wait for them to, to grow. They are fleshing out some on the bottoms, and if you were really patient, you could cut the dead out and let them flush out. But some of them I'm seeing flush outs already got that endosporium leaf blight and all, but they're in the shade, mostly shade, and I'm thinking, well, I'd definitely take those out if they had dots on the leaves. I mean, and why did we, as a whole, plant Indian hawthorns all over this city? I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. a bad shrub. In fact, I love the way it looks. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, a nice flat leaf, uh, kind of a cup leaf, broadleaf evergreen. Mm-hmm. It has beautiful blooms in the spring, but it's got its issues, though. Right, You know, right. And I see it 50-50, really. Jim, what do you think? I mean, is that a f- favorite plant of yours, no, a shrub of yours? No, or? not at all. You I know, mean, but even though we're I'm not bad-mouthing it. No, you know, like I say, when I first got in this business, we wouldn't plant any mm-hmm. hawthorns. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they they weren't going to make it through the winter, mm-hmm. you know. But we had enough mild winters that we got them established about and about then they did about fine. 15 or 20 in a row yeah. you know yeah 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 we started working yeah. our way up oh this right. one did good let's the add same some thing more. that happened with camellias back in the 40s and 50s they got well established and we got big camellias in this town mm-hmm. and then in the 70s they got zapped and then nobody wanted to go back with them mm-hmm. yeah you know now everybody wanted to plant crepe myrtles again um, right. You know, right. when they got zapped. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> and know. I now st- they wish they hadn't. <laughs> right. I still like, well, you, when I was in um, Texas for a while, the Bryan College Station area, the Indian hawthorns were our azaleas mm-hmm. because the azaleas didn't grow right, you know, where we were in that mm-hmm. area. And so there wasn't a, a lot of bloom stuff. So Indian hawthorn was our azalea. And we'd also get a lot, you know, different flavors of colors, like a dark rose and a pink mm-hmm. and a white mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah, and there's so, some, you know, that, are, that get huge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I still am partial to Indian hawthorns and want them to work. But I would, I think morning sun is great for them. They grew great in full, full sun, mm-hmm. too. But I think some of that part shade... 
no air circulation under trees, things like that makes them weaker. Well, and the way I look at it also is we as homeowners, you know, we're probably not planting 20 or 30 Indian hawthorn in our landscape like some of the commercial people do. Now, it's going to be interesting to see if the commercial people, which they Mm -hmm. probably won't, go back (laughs) to that same shrub. I mean, there are other shrubs, you know, that we can put out there other than that. But And I'm not picking on Indian hawthorn. It's just, but for the most part, like I said, if you drive around town and talk to people, you know, other than the stuff that just did not make it, Mm -hmm. most of the stuff has really come back because it has been a decent, even though it's been cool and wet, for the most part, it's been a decent growing season already. Uh, for a lot of these shrubs to rebound. Well, when we were walking in the front of the studio, Kenneth and Jim, the front's pretty. You know, the, Jim got his plants from you. And the tree, what, the columnar hibiscus on mm-hmm. each end, did y'all notice? They're blooming yellow. Mm-hmm. They're, so it means summer's on the way. And then the beautiful petunias and everything in the container. So, um, and then the encore azaleas, they'll be blooming before mm-hmm. too long in front of the building. Jim, mm-hmm. you did a good job on landscaping this place. Well, yeah. thank you. You know, yeah, um, and pansies are still looking good at at work where we've got them planted. I cannot believe you said that. I went yeah. to my mother's last night to drop off some paperwork, and she's got you know new spring flowering plants in all mm-hmm. of her containers, except in the bed around her mailbox. Okay, and she's got some perennials out there that come back every year, but all the annual color that's in my mother's mailbox bed is still pansies and violas and i'm yep. thinking i need to go there right now and start just snatching those things out uh-huh. of there I, le- I left one i took all of them out this week except mm-hmm. and they most of them look good you know but i left one because it really looked good yeah it's about time for those to come on out of there yeah, i'm telling you yeah i've cut the snapdragons back you know and planted a little antenna and a little million bells and Lots of other stuff. Yeah, the million bells do really great in the ground. Oh, they do? If you've got good drainage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, and um, we can start our begonias and our impatience and the sun impatience, portulaca, celosia, all that fun stuff's coming up. Well, but I do like to say, though, out of, you know, we kind of get into a rhythm of, you know, what we like and, you know, what we particularly don't like, but... One of the biggest things I've seen so far, you know, it like I said, it has been somewhat of a wet, cool spring. It really has. Uh, and then we've got irrigation on top of that. And then we have the old garden hose we pull out on top of that. A lot of people are keeping things too wet, especially when it comes to our bedding plants. Uh, it's not a plant that you got to go out there and water every day, I promise you. You're getting lots of complaints about people at planting caladiums, and they ain't coming up at all oh, yet. Yeah. Too, <laughs> and now it's too cold. The, the ground was. is still too cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you're, um, well, I'm noticing, too, that a lot of time, not noticing, but when y'all are planting and you've got the little four-inch pots or so, like the first week, you kind of got to water every day because it's got such a little root ball. Well, yeah, I mean, you want to keep it moist, yeah, but you but do not have like to keep the, these things wet. Yeah, that's like just to get them established, which doesn't, you know, that take that long. And then after that, you cut back. Well, and, yeah. and what made me think about that, you mentioned million bells, calabrosia, mm-hmm. uh, and they're easy to grow, really, especially in containers. But if you put them in a bed, the worst thing you can do is keep those That's, things too wet because they're going uh, right, to go, go right. down on you. And I've had people tell me that they've lost some this year. And the first thing I ask them, you know, I start talking about watering practices and, and our drainage or both. And a lot of people just love to water. It's just, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, yeah. it's just the way it is. The, the men. Yeah. I mean, people. Yeah, well, yeah. The, Especially the men. Well, it's nice and relaxing to stand outside, 
Do your water hose, water, think, enjoy nature. But y'all don't want us to think y'all are enjoying and, nature. And it's, and it's not midsummer <laughs> yet. It's not 98 degrees out there and no rain for the last yeah. month. You know, it's been extremely moist and cool. We so. had a, one of our members said they bought two honeysuckles. They planted one and the other one's in the pot. And the one in the ground's not doing well. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't understand why. She said, I'm watering them both the same. Well, if you're watering them both the same, you're drowning the one in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So we're just throwing that out there, guys. I mean, yes, you have to water. And I always tell people, I don't want to mislead you. You have mm-hmm. to water. But you do not want to keep these plants sloppy wet. I'd rather people slightly underwater than grossly overwater. And to some people, it's just not going to happen. They're right. going to get out there and water as they water, you know, like Jim was just talking about. You know, you would water a plant in a container a little different than you would water a plant in the ground. Right. Well, I went down, I did a talk at um, one of our other places, the Palladio Interiors, and they were painting containers. And so I did a talk about planting containers and hanging baskets. And I told them, you know, when you get into the big time summer, You've got to water almost three times a day and hang in baskets. And then I was telling them about containers. If you start with small plants, you don't have to water so much at first. You get a chance to watch them grow. But anyway, what I was going to mention was when I explained to them the amount of times you have to water, I heard so many people go, oh. Uh-huh. that much you know mm-hmm. they just thought their plants were bad all right what do y'all and jim i think you've invaded maybe you have too what do y'all think about the water crystals because i had a lady mm-hmm. in here uh in the garden center yesterday and she had used a off-brand cheap potting soil right okay and she had, had plants in there and she said it will not hold any water mm-hmm. you know now the flip side of that some of these cheap ones hold too much water yeah. they just mm-hmm. stay entirely too wet but she said the water runs right through mm-hmm. the stuff. It's probably just a bark-based mm-hmm. topsoil, yes, to be honest yes. with you. Good point. And I mm-hmm. said either you've got to take the plants out and use a high-quality potting soil right. Right. Uh, and replant, or you can try these water crystals, poke some holes mm-hmm. down in the pots, sprinkle these crystals in there. They'll fall down in the holes, and it holds, you know, holds mm-hmm. moisture. But uh, and she, that's what actually she wound up doing because she said there's no way I'm going to take all these things back out of these right. pots and redo it. And I said, well, at least try the crystals, if nothing else. So what do you think about the water crystals? <coughs> if, if used correctly now. He's, he's not, he's like not a fan. I'm not a fan. He's got to stare yeah, at me. You know. yeah, I'm not a fan of them. Right. You know. But would you rather do that than not do anything at all? I um, well, I would rather do something else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, well, same, and I gave her the same. option. Okay. You know, I mean, there's no point taking a shortcut. I mean, just fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And and it really doesn't take that much. All you got to do is is work a little organic matter exactly. in the top inch or so, mm-hmm. and then put a little layer on top, and that'll cap mm-hmm. that soil and help hold some moisture in there. And the sun is what dries so much of it, or the wind. So, you know, it's um, it it ain't hard to do. Right. It really isn't. I I agree because I would I like just using good, like you said, good potting soil with a lot of organic matter because it holds the water longer but not too long right it holds moisture but at the same time it drains and i know Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense but that's what it does Mm -hmm. i'm really impressed with the different types of soil mixtures we have and how this just has so much power in the soil microorganisms um all the organic matter a little bit of weight makes the hanging baskets a little heavier because it's a heavier soil 
but it's so worth it. But you can't use a small screw if you're going to screw in a, a hook to hang off your porch. <laughs> yeah, you know to, that. Bye. Yeah, it needs to be a little longer because well, if you're if you're going, oh, let's use this oil. It's lighter. There's your problem. You know, and how how would a consumer know though? I mean, really, what is a good potting soil and what isn't a good potting soil? I mean, but. You know, some of the brand names, the Monrovias, the Faffords, mm-hmm. uh, the Fox Farm uh, products, you know, they're all really good yeah. uh, potting soils. Well, let's run to a break real quick because we were just going to continue to talk the whole hour without taking a breath. So y'all give us a call, 260-5926. That's 260-5926. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990. You can stream us online anytime, kwamradio.com. And give us a call this morning. What's been going on in your yard? Call us, 260-5926. Yep, and you can always go to the old Facebook page, the Mighty 990, and uh, see Miss Veda right there and shoot us a, a question anytime, you know? Sounds good. You know, I was going to be late this morning, so one of y'all would have to sit over here for a moment. Whatever, Vader. So they could see. I know. I was like, I'm going to sit in the parking lot. Somebody's going to get in front of the camera, and I'll come in late, and you can't move. And what? We'll to It'd see just you. be an empty chair there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, talk. just stay in the same place, and there would just be nothing. Potting soils, we were still on that. Let's close that one up. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, you know, if if a big old bag of potting soil costs you $2, I mean, either you're getting the unbelievable deal or you shouldn't be doing it. Uh, I'm not saying you got to go out there and spend a lot of money on potting soil, but don't get the cheapest thing you can find. It, it makes a huge difference. I mean, that's the home of the plants, okay? Uh, but it does make yeah. a big difference in, in the way these plants are going to grow. And like I was saying, talking to this lady yesterday, she had already gone through there and filled all of her containers with this cheap potting soil, got everything planted, you know, all that work behind it, and then realized that it didn't hold an ounce of water. Yeah. It just wouldn't. And, uh, you know, so it's just a lot more work on her. And it's harder to get these plants established and even get them growing. So just use, all we're saying is just use mm-hmm. a good quality potting soil when you're growing anything in a container. Her plants will last longer, bloom better, bigger blooms also mm-hmm. if, if you do stuff like that. Because you got to have hanging baskets. <laughs> you got yeah. to. Okay. But, so. you know, they, they put a lightweight potting soil in, in hanging baskets. One, because mm-hmm. you don't have to put a massive hook in the seedling. And yeah. Plus also for just shipping purposes. Yeah, you know, right. From the growers yep. coming from. Yeah. That's very true. And plus when you're growing, you want lighter soil anyway. You do. Because yeah. most everything is really tender herbaceous stuff mm-hmm. that, that's grown as a basket. You know, True. If you're doing uh, bougainvilleas or something, you can use a heavier potting soil, and it probably would appreciate it. Bougainvilleas. Bougainvilleas. I know some bougainvilleas. Bougainvilleas. I've got bougainvillea, bougainvilleas, but I don't have any alamandas, mandevillea, all those fun or summer things. Because what did we're shortage yeah. because they froze in Florida, Louisiana. Yeah. You know, on down the line, we're in a shortage. What about bees, guys? Have y'all um, had a lot of people come into the garden center and ask me the questions? Hey, Kenny, have you seen any bees this year? And I said, Well, I've seen some, not many. And I've seen, even on the clover, I've seen more bumblebees than I have, you know, bee bees. Which is good. Is that okay? Yeah, that's good. Uh, but, Jim, what about, you know, the old honeybee? I mean, when I say honeybee, I mean the old typical honeybee. I haven't seen that many of them. And you, you know, likely to. I mean, you know, honey honeybees, people get this thing about the honeybees are dying and honeybees are a crop okay yeah the people who raise them for farmlands for pollinating 
they do that. They escaped into the wild, but now that we have the Varroa mite, it's wiped out most of those. Plus, we don't have food plots because we take all the clover out of our right, yard. Right. So it's not, but they're not the best pollinators. Uh, all of our native bees are so much better pollinators. Mm-hmm. Bumblebees, you know. A honeybee can't pollinate a tomato plant. Well, and maybe I called it the wrong right, thing. When exactly. you say native yeah. bee, though, what do you mean by the like a native? It looks like a honeybee, correct? No, no it's yeah. they're everything else. Most of them are tiny little suckers. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, See, so the honeybee is what I was saying. Yeah, that's our our thing is we don't realize there's tiny or different. There's twenty thousand different species of of, of bees. Yeah. The the honeybee is the least important as far as I'm concerned. So but I guess when we're, we're losing so many of our natives because the honeybees are out competing them. Okay, so food. you're saying that's not a bad thing that I haven't seen and other people haven't seen a ton of what we call honeybees not out in there. Your yard, yeah. You know yes. now if they were dying in mass in farmlands, that would be something. Gotcha. You know? But uh, there's a lot of new things coming along. You know, the varroa mite is the main killer of honeybees. And that's a little bitty insect that that gets on the bee. Right, kind of like a tick, and it just sucks the guts out of it. Okay, and the... um, (laughs) I was going to say something, but I better not there. Um, Uh, Well, I'll say something that'll make you say something. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) What about the fact that maybe some of the chemicals made the bee-weakened immune system... And then they were able to get well, more no toxicity da- from. I mean, there's the sprays. no doubt they the varroa mite would be the thing that's causing the weakened bee. Okay, they're mm-hmm. much more of a problem than any pesticide. Okay, yeah, that I can been. see. Yeah, you know now. The EPA put out a list of like ten things that they said were contributing factors to the decline mm-hmm. of the, the honeybee. Okay, yeah. pesticides were like number seven on the list. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Most of it was not taking care of them properly and shipping them across the country. Mm-hmm. You Definitely know, every stress spring. a bee right. out. Yeah. The bees are already stressed, and w- by moving them across the country, we take the varroa mite with us. Mm-hmm. You know, and give it to all the wild populations that you might have. Yeah. So you know, people who raise bees for themselves—that's that's one thing. But because you don't see honeybees in your yard, mm-hmm. that's okay. That's you know, okay. because it's really I mean, not quite a, a few yeah. people come into the garden yeah. center and say, you know, and ask me if I have I seen them. And I thought it was kind of weird though, Jim, that I used to see what I call honeybees on the clover, yeah. mm-hmm. mason bees, which look like little bumblebees, much better pollinators. Okay, they're great. And then and I noticed when I was cutting the grass, and I've got a little clover. Uh, that I was seeing nothing but bumblebees on mm-hmm. the clover, and I'm thinking, okay, why the why the bumblebees and not the honeybees? And you know, there bumblebees you go. though live in hives that are sometimes a few hundred, but most of them are in fifty years or so. Yes, sir. there are lots of hives. Okay, yeah. and so there's a whole lot more of those. You know, but when you're looking at a honeybee, it, you know. A queen honeybee will lay 2,000 eggs a day. Mm. That means 2,000 adults are dying every day yeah. from that hive yeah. just to maintain it. Mm. So death is a natural thing yeah. for them, but there's some really new technologies coming along uh, where they're doing some genetic modifying of um, uh, viruses and that sort of thing that will end up, uh, I think, wiping out the varroa mite. No, we're good. So yeah, we'll even have more be bees good. out there. You right. But the whole thing is, is when people think that nothing's going to pollinate because they have bumblebees, don't have the the bumblebees or the honeybees. There's, yeah, like so you said, many there's other so pollinators many out bees. there. Y'all yes. should look them up because now when I learned that, I would see. I saw. I looked at the pictures and then I was like, oh, 
That's what kind of insect that was the one that you on the smushed. flower. It was actually <laughs> Have a you bee. you seen those, what was it, mosquito eradicator or whatever thing is, has yeah. the tube? Yes. That, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, my daughter gave me some last year, and so mm-hmm. I put them out there. And when I opened them up, the most dead bugs in there were bees. Mm-hmm. Really? It's sugar water. Yeah. Okay. The carbon dioxide's gone after 36 hours or so. I mean, it's not going to put out carbon dioxide, but they ain't going in there after carbon dioxide anyway. All right, well, it's time to run for a break really quick. Well, we're not going to run, no. But not give us very a call. Fast, anyway. Right, 260-5926. Hey, y'all, we're back, and we didn't run. You're listening to the Mighty 990 Mid-South Gardening. I'm with Jim and Kenneth. And one other thing on the bees, and like you said, there was no food plots for them to go to. And they're beginning to become programs that they're leaving food plots in areas or, you know, community gardens or new landscapers are planting food plots. Yeah, so the bees but if can they're have doing energy. it for honeybees, I mean, it's just... It's, that, you know, I've it's never really, asked that. Yeah, it's really kind of a waste of I time. I agree, yeah. Okay. And I've never went into detail to find out. You know, the are beekeepers they just, now are, you know, slapping me upside the head, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. But, but mean, we're talking about but, on a whole. But being realistic, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's just... You know, there's not enough food out there really to support a hive of bees in most mm-hmm. areas, okay? The ones that were in the wild that were mm-hmm. in trees and so forth those have pretty much died off from the varroa mite mm-hmm. so i mean there's just not a lot of them out there but you're saying though jim don't worry and, because there's right. so many other pollinators out there that we're going to get and they're raising them you know and now last year beekeepers nationally lost 40 percent of their hives wow but that's okay because they're raising new ones all the time yeah. it's been for years 10 to 15 percent mm-hmm. but they're getting more and more heat stress there's more and more issues uh, viruses and so forth that that not Effect. only just the varroa mites. So there are a lot of other things, but they're growing them constantly. So there's always going to be enough bees for other food crops. Wow. Okay, isn't that amazing? Yeah, they're growing bees. Yep, growing bees. A, it's um, a crop. It's not left to chance. You know, it's mm-hmm. just as much a part of growing crops as fertilizing, planting the seed, having the <clears> pollinators <throat> there at the right time. I mean, it's just part of being of farming. Yeah, yeah, I'd say pollinators may be second to soil, first to soil, yeah. but those are in the top two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a, a young lady on um, Facebook, Rebecca Maddox. She texted in, said a couple of days ago, one of her neighbors dug up some black elephant ears uh, and, of course, gave her some. And Rebecca planted these black elephant ears in containers. Um, and the question was, um, you know, it, it, it just like anything else that you dig up and transplant, if she said for the first couple of days they were kind of droopy. Now they're standing up fine uh, because they're over the transplant shock, if you will. Uh, but she said, um, you know, she put them in containers because she said in the wintertime she can simply just roll them inside the garage or the house. Uh, she said, will they continue to do well in the pot or do they have to be in the ground? Well, I mean, obviously they wintered in the ground, you know, and it got down to zero. So, I mean, there's no reason to 
bring them in. Okay, it's, they're going to be top killed, but they're going to come back. Okay, um, but uh, if you want to have a bigger plant next year, then yeah, have it in the pot, roll it in. You won't lose that growth, and next year you'll have one two or three times bigger than you would if you just let it come back on. Its well, own. hang on now, you know, because we always say that things that are in containers are not insulated like they are in the ground. So if you have a big elephant ear growing in a container, okay, and you don't take it inside the garage or the carport or even in the house, you don't protect it, Mm -hmm. and we get a winter like we just had, I mean, if it freezes through that pot, it's going to basically kill whatever's in the pot. Probably, yes, Yes. because most people don't think about watering also. It will get a dry freeze, and that will do it in usually. So what you don't care, Jim, whether it's in a container or whether it's in the ground, because they're going to basically come back typically if if you have well-drained soil mm-hmm. it's going to come back anyway you made a comment that you've got some that's been been coming back for the last yeah. 10 or 12 years right uh, because you know I planted some elephant ears at my old house and they did they came back for about seven or eight years and they were in a place that wasn't great it was mm-hmm. pretty close to a, a, a drain splash or where the gutters came down and then it was a really wet winter and a wet spring and they did not come back and it wasn't because of the cold, though. It was really more because of the wet soil that they mm-hmm. were planted in. So, yeah. Rebecca, yeah, whether they, you keep them in a container uh, that you do need to protect, potentially in the wintertime, I would, just to be safe, or whether you put some in the ground, it mm-hmm. really doesn't matter. I had a clematis in a container in an area that was not protected. The container was... 15 inches wide, maybe maybe 18, but it totally died, totally. Because I went out there, I was I wanted to know all the steps of getting down to one degrees, and I I would check the containers, and the one the clematis in was frozen solid. You know, yeah. it was so heavy, and I thought, well, that may go away because it wasn't under stress when I've had it the whole time. It's bloomed beautifully, came back year after year. But just simply because the container froze through yeah. that the clematis didn't make. Yeah, and, I, and I've heard a lot of that happening this past year. I mean, there again, because, I mean, it usually doesn't stay that cold for that long. And think about it, guys. You know, if something's in a container, it's not in the ground. It's not insulated, depending on the size of the pot and, you know, what the plant is. But I had a lot of people come into the garden center this year uh, and tell me they just completely lost things that were in containers this past uh this past winter that used to, I mean, usually would come back for them. And I said, but think about it, y'all. It was around zero degrees for basically a week. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if it gets that cold and stays that cold, I don't care what it is, guys. That was so fun. (laughs) (laughs) That weather was so fun. I loved it. It's what nurserymen dream of. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right, let me say this also. You know, army worms. You know, we're (laughs) listen to him. We're always fighting. (laughs) We're always fighting insects. Uh, And it seems, uh, you know, ants have been really bad this year, and I'll talk about that later on. But I had a lady come into the garden center, and she had a birch tree or has a birch tree in her yard. And part of the birch has got a cavity in it, you know, which you never want to see. And eventually, you know, all trees will, you know, get cavities and get water in there and it starts to rot. Well, anyway, she found this huge, these large numbers of termites uh, in this tree. And it was completely freaking her out, which it should. I mean, you don't want termites in trees and you surely don't want them in your house, okay? So, um, you know, she was like, you know, 
can I just pour gasoline in here? And just, I was like, no. You know, can you? Yes. But I would never recommend that you do yeah. that. I think you should go pour gasoline in the cavity. I promise you and throw mm-hmm. a match in there to get rid of the termites. And that's why I guess it would, but it could blow the top of the tree off too. She was definitely freaking over that. Yes. Just let me burn the whole tree. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, there are, you know, really good broad spectrum insecticides that control a lot of different insects. Uh, and in this case, you know, I showed her the 38 plus, which is the 38% permethrin. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just make a solution of this product and pour it in the cavity or spray it in there. Uh, and, you know, do it two or three times, you know, a couple weeks apart. And I don't care, you know, whether it's carpenter ants or termites yeah. or whatever, you know, you, you'll get them. But I promise you, y'all, I mean, it, it's funny how people would go to the extreme uh, to get rid of, uh, you know, a particular insect, in this case termites, because she was so afraid in, that they could get into her house, which mm-hmm. they can, of course. But, I, you know, I wouldn't resort to gasoline and matches, though. I just thought it was kind of cute that someone would potentially do that to get rid of <laughs> right you know that sounds like some of the old remedies used to use a long time ago oh just get some gasoline <laughs> in the match and blow it out yeah, right yeah, oh, yeah. exactly people, people still pour gasoline down yellow jacket holes you know yeah no oh, throw some bourbon on it done that, you know <laughs> that's the slugs like no the slugs like beer Right. Too bad they don't like bourbon. But but permethrin, <laughs> I mean, you know, and back in the old days, and I don't know when that was, but, you know, there was chloridane and durisban and diazinon and a lot of these pretty harsh chemicals. Okay? They still my heart. I know. <laughs> I mean, they were really good products. Uh, but, it, but you know, the permethrins or the anything in that permethrin family mm-hmm. um, almost took over that whole class of insecticides. Uh, they're very broad spectrum. Uh, you know, they're a lot safer to use, to be honest with you. Uh, they're not as bad on the environment, uh, you know, as some of the other ones. So, you know, if you've got situations where you have carpenter ants and or termites and just insects in general, uh, you know, it never, ever hurts to go to a a something in that permethrin or that methrin family, mm-hmm. you know, right. to get rid of them. Just move those uh, termites out of your trees and just send them somewhere else. You know, I don't know. I, that's one of those things. Would you kill them all so they didn't relocate yes. to other people's homes, yes. maybe? Or, like, would you repel them? Like, if I threw diatomaceous earth all in there, they would start leaving because, obviously, they'd know something was wrong. And so they wouldn't come back to that spot. But are they going to go to somebody else's house? So you don't I want termites on the, in, in the... It's bl- a bug. It's no. an insect. Yeah, we it's an insect that will eat your house down our on cycles. Yeah, it's an insect to complete our cycles of uh, nature. And I don't care if they're outside, but you you don't know. You yeah. don't know. You can't have them out there in your landscape. You Absolutely know I'd not. still be doing the diatomaceous earth, just trying to make them move on. Because as far as... Uh, organic you know what 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 would you use i mean could a, you i mean i definitely use that you know yeah pyrethrin not the is permethrin, but you could use the pyrethrin so there so i i, I got a plan then for sport natural i was you know termites jim maybe yeah 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 i was wondering if that one would mm-hmm. be good too so if you want to be natural spinosin diatomaceous earth and pyrethrin, pyrethrin. yeah yeah that works Ant spray from a distance, wasp spray from anything. I'm being like her. Gasoline. (laughs) Oh, well, insects. Let's go to a break. And, you know, 
if you've got any questions about your garden, any comments to make. If you don't want to talk on the radio, you can send us a, a text on Facebook Live or Claire will take your call and put questions up for us. So give us a call, 260-5926. That's 260-5926. Good morning, good morning, welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. One more thing on the termites. <laughs> As we were talking about termites, I had this memory flash into my head. This was before I started becoming organic. But I li we lived in like a historical house in Bryan College Station, and they had put in railroad ties in. Hmm. And I did see a cluster of the termites on the railroad ties. I went and got some poison quote um, as some people say some poison that would be an insecticide right Thank you. it sprayed it down because i was afraid they would get into an older house with right. maybe there was some older wood so i did do it oh heck yeah i did do it but you then know. i became organic after that so well that's i mean i've been through both sides yeah, yeah i've been through both sides but uh another thing jim probably knows and y'all know that mosquitoes there's like there's like more there's like three kinds of different mosquitoes that get us in the summertime one is floodwater mosquitoes mm -hmm. and then comes the um what was that i can't remember the name of it but um they like fresh water uh, oh the container mosquitoes mm -hmm. that's what they were called they like fresh water and then there was the culex mosquitoes that like the stagnant water and it kind of comes they come in phases so you never win <laughs> <laughs> Never win because <laughs> they're in phases. And it's just not one phase. But so you see each mosquito likes a different type of um, environment. They need that to lay their eggs in and, and all of that. But that still doesn't help us well, repel and, them. Well, and I'm blessed <laughs> where they don't tear me up. I mean, I can go yeah. out and I just never get bit by yeah. and I And I hate to say that out loud because it, that could change any day. Where my wife and, you know, my mother, for example, I mean, they can stick their foot out the door and it's getting mm -hmm. eaten up. So but I guess um, the mosquito beater, I've heard a lot of good things about that. What, well, what it, other things are out? And you're right, Vade. I mean, if you've got mosquitoes, you've got three angles of attack. You can either uh, try to attack the larva. Well, first of all, get rid of all the water sources, mm -hmm. okay? But if you've got larva in water, if you've got an aquatic pond, or say, for example, in your backyard, you can get the, uh, you know, the donuts or the pouches that you throw in the water, that would kill the mosquito larva, right? Right. If you didn't have anything running in the pond, because the, you know, the mosquitoes don't like to lay eggs on moving water. Yeah, and so, I, yeah. but it doesn't take any water. I mean, you can have a mm -hmm. you know a soup can with four tablespoons of water in it. Leaf. Yeah. You can, right, but leaf. so, <laughs> but you can kill the larva. Uh, secondly, you can surely try to repel the mosquitoes. Uh, and that's where the mosquito beater, you know, whether mm -hmm. it's in a liquid version or the granulated version, comes into play. And it's just different oils in their Veda, completely organic. Um, and it's just, it works on a sense of smell. It just repels them out of there. And then we were talking about the permethrin while ago, or cyflurian, or any of those mm -hmm. methrin-type products. But uh, those are also really good as far as killing mosquitoes. When you spray your shrub, spray the bed, spray the lawn, spray around the patio, not only does it kill the mosquitoes, it also acts as a repellent, uh, Jim, that permethrin product. Mm -hmm. So um, 
You know, I mean, you know, you can't, will you get rid of every mosquito you have? No. But will you knock that population way down to where you can actually go out in your backyard? You sure can. Well, Jim, I want you to just tell me the disheartening news. You've said it before. I want a Martin house, but they're not effective as we thought they were. <laughs> yeah. I'm driving down the road and I'm seeing all these Martin I houses. I know, but, you know, people that have them will swear up and down that they help. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so... You know. Well, that's like with those mosquito tubes. They mm-hmm. swear up and down they help, but you just check, check the whole thing out, and yeah. then they're the not. The science isn't there to support the, the yeah the, right. Uh, but the mosquito is that a placebo? Thing. When you think you're doing something good, it, it makes your chemicals in your body change, and the mosquitoes don't want it. So maybe it's a placebo. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I tell that to the people <laughs> who get eaten up by mosquitoes. But you know, they say it works. That would be like us saying it works because yeah. mosquitoes don't bother me. But <laughs> I'm telling you, those those products do work. I mean, and, and I do like permethrin. The permethrin uh, and because, the mosquito. Yeah, those work. Because yeah. not only does it kill the mosquitoes, uh, it also, like I said, acts as a, even a repellent within mm-hmm. itself. And then there are mosquito repellents. So, you know, if, if you want to enjoy your, your yard um, and, and you are very prone, you know, to getting bit by mosquitoes, I mean, you have to do some of those things or you just, you're just stuck indoors. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So um, now bats still eat mosquitoes. There's no science behind that nope, so far that says, but science changed so much. But you know, I can't get them to go in my bat houses. Yeah, and you probably even let them get the proper rotting. You know, they don't like new bat houses. Yep, I, and I even put bat urine inside of it. And let me tell you, that's one of the nastiest things you'll ever do. I didn't know that was for sale. Oh, you yes. caught the bat and squeezed it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Somebody else did the squeezing and wringing it out. So, uh, no, there's and a guy that work, actually though. sells it. And, and what you, you put it on a, a cloth and run it up in the house and pour mm-hmm. it over the top of the house. And and let me tell you, it is, uh, it's, it's gosh awful bad. I don't know why I'd, you know, a bat would move in there. I know. It's that. like maybe, maybe that guy, ooh, maybe it was snake oil. Or would you call that? <laughs> what kind of oil if it's not snake oil? I forgot the bug we were even talking about. I don't know, about. but y'all are going through a lot of trouble <laughs> to get a oil. bat in a house is snake, all I'm saying. That sounds like yeah. snake oil to me. No, bat oil. <laughs> you know, okay, but unless so you've bad. got bad, a lot of bats in the neighborhood, they're not going to really control your insects anyway, are they? I well, mean, no. And, you know, I've seen some bats and, you know, but not a whole lot. But we have mm-hmm. right across the street is the park and there's there's... Uh, a lake there and so there's plenty for them to eat over there mm-hmm. by the lake that's what so. i was gonna say you must have yeah. plenty around you you know and, and they've got martin houses set up in the lake you know in, yeah. in the park area there around the lake but i so. guess you know every little bit helps that's right yeah and so, and, and yeah. craig taylor uh, texted in and said dragonflies are the best and i mm-hmm. they are completely that's agree right. with him yeah. about that i mean but unfortunately yeah. dragonflies are one of the main foodstuffs of purple martins I know. Isn't that hilarious? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, so you're saying so funny. Veda should not put up the Purple Martin house if she wants to have right. a lot of dragonflies mm-hmm. in the backyard and get rid of the mosquitoes and the gnats. Yeah. Yes. That's pretty much a true See how statement. hard but, it is to control? You know, I'm thinking about taking the bat houses down and putting the Martin yeah. house up just because I like to watch them fly. Right. And, right. You know, and zip into that house. They're cool to watch them, mm-hmm. you know. But they eat they eat moths and, and they eat um, dragonflies. Uh, and they fly higher than mosquitoes do. Uh, mm-hmm. They go in at dark, you know, at dusk, and that's when mosquitoes come out. 
So it, they really are not the best control for your mosquitoes. So it's better to have a big flock, like Craig was saying, of dragonflies out there, Jim. Yes, and absolutely. Mm-hmm. Dragonflies are good. And I promise you, let me say this real quick, and I know we got to go. You can see, you can be, I can be sitting in my backyard, and you'll see these little swarms of these little yeah. gnats. You know how they, in your backyards. What's, what's the name? Buffalo gnats. Yes, buffalo yeah. gnats out there. And I promise you, you can see these dragonflies. Mm-hmm. Just dive bombing mm-hmm. these swarms. I mean, just yeah. like sharks do in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And after ten or fifteen minutes, they're gone. Well, now we have to create an environment to attract dragonflies. Yes. All right. Well, this is our first hour, and we're going to be back after the second. I'll get your Whether gardening you like questions. Whether you like it or not, yeah. <laughs> get your gardening questions. We just want to know. Just want to know what's going on in your garden. Two six zero five nine two six. The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990 with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome back to the Mighty 990, your Mid-South Gardening show. Yep. And um, we've had the first hour of the show, really fun and yeah. wonderful. Had some callers. And uh, I'm here with Kenneth Mabry. Good morning, Miss Nathan. I was going to say Kenneth Crowder and Jim Mabry. Yeah, that doesn't sound It just too bad. came out like that, but I uh, controlled my mind. I've been called worse. Yes, yeah, so I, it's please. all probably before the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but if you want to give us a call, guys, 260-5926, 260-5926. And, of course, you can go to Facebook Live uh, in Mid-South Gardening and shoot us some uh, text that way. It's really easy to do. You can see Miss Veda on there. Uh and we had a lady, or some a gentleman or a lady, uh, call a second ago, but they had to drop off. And they, Jim, I think the question was hummingbirds, oh, and why, right. in their opinion, <laughs> are they seeing so few hummingbirds? Well, but I haven't really noticed that. we go that. with the hummingbird thing Because now. I had, you know, I've got a hummingbird feeder up. We better up. not have less hummingbirds. No, I don't think so. I, mean, okay. I don't know, but I, in my backyard, my wife, uh, she makes her own sugar water and puts mm-hmm. it in there and she makes sure that it stays fresh and we usually have anywhere from two to four hummingbirds every year and it's not a lot but, but that's we just, just started but Maybe that's what we have freaking. and we've yeah. got the same thing this year so uh-huh. you know I, so I, you haven't had a loss no, of population exactly that's good they're probably hanging out in the woods behind you just like jim's yeah. house i've seen four at one time Mm-hmm. Have so. y'all noticed or heard anything about a hummingbird decline? Shortage. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. not? Okay. There's a shortage on everything else right now. Why not hummingbird <laughs> shortage? Really? But, you know, I wonder if we panic too early because as we evolve into warmer weather, I see increase of them. So I wonder if we panic too early. No. All right. What are the do's and don'ts of hum- hummingbird feeders? Keep them clean. You ain't kidding. And keep yeah. the solution fresh. Right. Uh, they're picky, mm-hmm. you know, they don't, I mean, because there's so many other things they can eat out there, and it's just easy for them to go up there and get a sip of your uh, sugar water from the hummingbird feeder. But they don't like it if it's kind of old, if you yeah. will. They kind don't of give you the look. Them. Yeah, yeah they can make them sick, so you want to make sure. You know, when you have days that are 85 or better, you really ought to change it every day, mm-hmm. you know, from 75 to 85 every other day or every mm-hmm. third day okay and if you have a lot thing. you have no choice yeah, <laughs> but right. to clean it. yeah clean it before you refill it though that 
that would be me. Oh, I'll just refill it. It's fine. But yeah, clean it before you refill it. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of plant flowering things around your hummingbird feeders to attract more. And what about the, the hummingbird food that has the red dye in it? Well, okay. Because red you, attracts hummingbirds, okay? It does, but you don't have to have that. Good You'll point. hear the hummingbird experts say that red dye kills them. There's no proof of that. Yeah. None. But at the same time, there's no proof that it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. So why put it in there? Yeah. Okay. They're, they're not ever going to run experiments to find out if it does. Yeah. You know, so... Uh, there's there's no point in it. So well, and what no about what about the point where well the red color gem is what attracts the hummingbird. No, the hummingbird feeder attracts yeah, exactly mm-hmm. yeah. because it. I see them on all kinds of colors. I yeah, don't exactly. have red, and they mm-hmm. come around. No, and I too. brought that up because a lot of people think they have to put you know a red dyed food in their mm-hmm. hummingbird yeah. feeder, and that's not the case. I, I think a lot of that came back when there was red dye number forty. You know, it, it did some bad stuff and. And they just associate now that all red dye is bad, you know. Mm-hmm. It is a petroleum distillate. It's made from coal tar, okay. But, you know, you nice. eat it all the time. Okay? That's in my Kool-Aid that right. has red dye in and it. And it's extremely small amount. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it just no point in putting it in there, so just don't. Okay. So, but but yeah. y'all haven't heard of any reduction in the hummingbird population? I have not, no. I've, we've had questions, though, like that, and then I've heard a few things like that, but maybe we're just a little too early on it. And um, I was talking about something that had made me think of why we plant different plants in our landscape. And I think it was because of all the things we just mentioned. You've always said that, though, Beta, about being diverse. Yeah, the dragonflies. You want to attract those. You actually want to have little bedding, you know, where beneficial insects, beetles and all that, they're beneficial. If you see a beetle, don't stomp on it, Uh, walking around the ground. Most beetles are not good, young lady. Walking around the ground. That's what they look like when they walk. (laughs) <laughs> so, um, yeah, diversity, planting uh, diversity helps so much. And what about, I mean, and, and, you know, you mentioned beetles, and then it makes me just think of Japanese beetles. Uh, you know, they'll be— They're we'll, out. Oh, they're already they're out. They're already out. Didn't say, that just happen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, last week or so. All right, so just be aware, and that's that little shiny kind of green metallic-looking beetle that pretty has a— Pretty little thing. Pretty great-looking yeah. beetle, but, man, they do have an appetite, I'm yeah. telling you. And I'm talking about don't kill the ones on the ground, The you know, the pretty— No, uh, I mean, like get rid beetles. of all yeah. of them. Yeah, the, the black ones, the big black ones, Doesn't the matter. ones, get, iridescent ones. Get rid of them. Oh, because they process organic matter. They eat little insects. They keep all the, help the soil web. She's trying to convince me. I know. They're cute. They're fun to watch. But a Japanese beetle that you'll see by the tens of thousands out there stripping every piece of foliage you have in your Mm -hmm. landscape, then you wonder, you know, why did I ever like a beetle to start with, right? right? Well, like Jim says, they flush back out. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Yeah, They they seldom kill anything. Mm. They'll eat all the leaves off your crepe myrtle and your roses, but they'll come right back out. Yeah. And they only feed for six or eight weeks or so. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah, month and a half. It doesn't matter. Month and a half, two months. The the most damage is going to come from the grubs in your turf. Right. Because that's where they're coming from as a grub. You know, and that's going to be most of the damage you'll see August, September, October, because that's when they're still up high. The the eggs that were laid right now 
uh, will be maturing and they'll be eating lots of stuff. And Johnny, hang on just a second. He's on line one, but I know there are products like Dialox, for example, a mm-hmm. uh, 24-hour grub control that you can put down on your lawn uh, that will kill uh, grubs that are actually eating the roots off of your lawn, right? Um, and then, of course, for Japanese beetles, when you start seeing those in large numbers, uh, like Jim said, you know, he's already seen some out there. There are sprays, you know, like the spinosad, uh, and then there surely are the more, uh, the Japanese beetle traps that you can put out there. But we always say if you use a trap, just put it to the extremity of your property. I mean, or you in your yeah. neighbor's yard. Or in the neighbor's <laughs> yard. You're, but you don't want the trap just right there in the middle of your rose garden. No, you will end up with more than you had. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing how many products are sold and a lot are sold and they're not effective <clears throat> or they cause cause future problems. You know, so many And things. your point is? Yeah, I guess, you know, that's just marketing well, and that the biz, the business end of it, you got to come up with something. <laughs> Where, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, and, and Johnny, once again, hang on just a second. I was going to say, you know, a lot of people used to frown at using a Japanese beetle trap because they're saying, yeah, you get the Japanese beetles, but you're bringing more in from the properties around you. And that could be somewhat true, but they're still going to the trap, okay? And that's why we, small percentage, Jim, but I don't care. I mean, if you change those bags out and you go out there and look at them every day, you're getting a lot of Japanese beetles. You are, but you'll have more. <laughs> but so put in them the in the bag. corner of your property, put them out there away from your desirables, draw them away from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then ideally 50 to 75 yards away, which is fine. And then with the combination of spraying some of these really good, uh, safe, broad spectrum insecticides, you can at least keep them you know, manageable. Let me put it that way. Yeah. So you just walk down the street, catch one of your neighbors out, and you say, you know, I got an extra Japanese beetle trap. Would you like to have and one? Like, I see yes, they're out. Yeah, yes. give it to them. Yes. <laughs> but you know, up. like I said, they'll, they'll eat everything, <laughs> but it'll come back. But I do have to say, they eat the blooms on your rose, and that's a hard one to let happen. Yeah, but the roses, it's going to replace those. I know, but you it's know, so roses. hard to watch those beautiful yeah. roses that are out become lace leaf roses. Yeah, <laughs> and that's one of the things, you know, uh, we, we talk about using the metacloprid a lot for control of the, the grubs. But if you treat a rose with it as a drench, they will, um, Japanese beetles will die if they eat the foliage but if they eat the flower they'll live to talk about it and that's something they'll fly next to it because metacloprid doesn't move well into the reproductive parts of plants you know we always we hear all this stuff about uh neonicotinoids that will move into pollen right. and nectar the and, but we don't really see that you know, if you look at Canada, where they grow like 19 million acres of rapeseed, yeah. it's grown for canola oil mm-hmm. and honey. I mean, if yeah. it was if going to kill the bees, how would they? Yeah, they wouldn't be making honey out of it. So, you know, some plants very well may do it. You know, but we know that in cotton and soybeans doesn't get into the pollen or nectar yeah. just a little bit in corn but so you're saying enough. don't be afraid of that imidacloropid no yeah no not not as far as killing your pollen right that's what i mean right yeah well i think it's time to go to a break and we have jamie the master gardener but we will get you after the break we'll be right back Welcome back, Mid-South Gardeners. You're listening to the Mighty 990. 
You can watch us on Facebook Live. We have a podcast. You can listen to us later mm-hmm. if you miss something. And uh, let's go to Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. Look, the Master Gardeners are showing off again. <laughs> yeah, good deal. <laughs> oh, we are terrible. We, we're having through our garden gates today, and uh, it's uh, it's a wonderful time. If you get an opportunity, go by and see. It's in Bartlett, pretty much. And so, anyway, go by and then see what the Master Gardeners are doing. They They... Work all year long to get to show their houses and yards, mm-hmm. and so I hope everybody will get to go by and, and look. And this is our, Jamie. This is where through our garden gates. This is where individuals open up their yards for people to come by and, and just take a look at their landscapes, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, and Absolutely. it's free. And it's free. And I guess if you it, want to know, yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to know more about. Through our garden gates. I mean, can't you just go to Memphis Area Master Gardener dot com and take a look and see where all the uh, addresses are? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, that's my thing. I was going Memphis Area Master Gardeners dot com, and uh, it'll give you a route. And uh, I'll be out at uh, Peachtree Lane, uh, thirty nine eighteen Peachtree Merely Hood's house, mm-hmm. uh, about one o'clock. And I'd like to see everybody come by and and see what they do. You know, you talk about you. I'm not a great, uh, I don't know if I ever had an original thought in my whole life, but boy, I can copy. <laughs> uh, take somebody else's idea and, and uh, stuff. So, but, and, uh, Ain't America great. great. <laughs> on what to do, you know, with your yard. Oh, see, I love what you just said. because, And that's why people do it, Jamie. That's why they go by and look at these beautiful landscapes is because they get wonderful ideas of what to do themselves in their own landscape, you know? Oh, sure. You know, like I said, I don't have, I never had an original idea, but I'm a good copier. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, Jan was telling me it's Memphis Area Master Gardeners.org. Oh, .org instead know, of dot, dot for, com. For our route. Okay. And so, anyway, Debbie Grace Davis will be showing her house, and uh, Tom Ryman is showing mm-hmm. his. So, but anyway, these are great. Uh, it, and it's some, it's really great stuff. And you'll so, be at 3918 Peachtree Lane, you said, about 1 o'clock this afternoon. Right. 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 I'm going to be there 1 o'clock, 1 to 4 or whatever at Mary Lee Hood's house, and we'll uh, like to see everybody come out and, and say hello and mention the, uh, the uh, great tomato contest, too. You got it, buddy. And it's getting closer and closer and closer. It is. It is. My little old golf ball size tomatoes, boy, who? Oh. I don't have to boost them up some way. I don't know how. <laughs> but anyway, we'll do what we can. All right. Jim's got an idea. Yes. Thank you, Jamie. So Thanks, from, Jamie. For Tell Jamie we call. said, hey. And I didn't even realize that was today until uh, Jamie just said something mm-hmm. through our garden gates. And it is pretty cool. They do this every year. Last time I, I remember thinking, oh, that's a while away. I've got time to rearrange my schedule and go. <clears throat> And it's right now. <laughs> this, this weekend. <laughs> and next, next weekend on Saturday, we have um, art in the garden at mm-hmm. uh, Theo Terry's house in uh, Somerville in Fayette County. Uh, so you can get information by going to the Fayette County mm-hmm. uh, Master Gardener site. Yeah, yeah so that's that pretty cool. Good. But I do yeah. love, like Jamie said, you can go and get some great ideas of what people have done. Because there's always these places in your landscape that you look at it and go, you know, just what can I do here? Uh, you know, I've got this yeah. much sun or I don't have this much sun. And just, you know, I mean, what, and then you get these wonderful ideas by seeing what other people have done in the same situations that you have. 
Well, and it also makes it easier <coughs> because you're looking at a plant in the garden center right. and you're just, there's just hardly a way to realize what it's going to look like in five maturity. years or seven years. So they, you know? These gardens help a lot with that, too. It just changes your perspective. When you realize that, you don't have to plant as many things as yeah. you normally. And that's why nurserymen go, oh, they go by foot apart. So you got to plant 10 instead of, <laughs> no, four feet apart. You could go with three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't do that. Well, but a lot of landscapers, uh, you know, you do see where it looks really good when they're done with the project and they walk off. Uh, but then it looks really, really crowded three years down the road, yeah. you know. But a lot of people demand that they look, that it looks good, you know, when they have it done and don't realize that all these plants grow. Yeah. And you do want to give them a little room to grow. Hey, Jim, are you growing the bear britches? It seemed like you were talking about that. Um, I, I had two. I had a white water and a green one. The green mm-hmm. one didn't hasn't yet to come up. The mm. white water is just now starting up. And explain okay. bear's mm. britches, because these are britches you put on like a black bear. Right, yeah, uh-huh. right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, they have a wardrobe. They do. Yeah, it's <laughs> acanthus. It's a, it's a real pretty plant. It uh, has a nice tall flower spike on it. Yeah. And this um, is more of a shade type plant. It is, yeah, a little morning sun to help mm-hmm. them bloom. Um, and um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping been... the green one will. It was in a fairly uh-huh. protected area, so uh. I don't understand why it would not have survived. Did, what is there? I mean, they don't mind uh, different kinds of soil, right? Or are they more drain? <clears throat> well, you don't want them standing in water. Mm-hmm. You know, they like an evenly moist yet well-drained soil. Yeah. Um, and so, obviously, yours weren't standing in water. No. We know that. No. <laughs> Maybe it's just one of those things, you, you know? know, because I am going to plant some in a... A landscape that's by a patio outside. It's really protected, but I'm looking for different uh, and, and kind of tropical. It kind of looks tropical to me. And how t- and how tall would the variety get that you're going to plant? I have no of? clue. Yeah. I'm just putting it Floor in. Flower spike <laughs> on it about four feet. Yeah. 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 And it'll get, you know, the plant f- four or five feet wide. Nice I, yeah. tropical looking foliage. Got it in there with that's ligularia. Great. Yeah. I've got that in there. The Some elephant plant. ears. Yeah. We're trying to, you know, add a little because she's had lived in Hawaii for a while. So we're trying to create some of that and um, different types of gardens. So I thought that as the acanthus, the bear britches would look really good. I'm looking forward to planting that one. And then, you know, it does get wide, but it's easy to, if you need to prune a few uh, leaves off, Sure, you know, it can make it a little thinner and it wouldn't be so, so big, but (laughs) I'm liking that one. And then uh, the Daphne's. Still have some Daphne's. Which is a, that's more of a shrub than it is a perennial. Yeah, I think its foliage is really cool looking. The one I have, and I can't remember the name, but it's variegated. Mm -hmm. And the foliage is amazing, and then it smells so good in early spring. But isn't that a different soil prep, too? Yeah, that one's got to have really well-drained soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really bizarre because in the container, it looks like they planted them in the uh, mud pit. Yeah, Monrovia soil. I don't know how they do that. It looks heavy, mm-hmm. but it drains really well. Right. Uh, it's lava or something. I don't know. Oh, uh, you know who else, though? I got. I think I got those from Jim Brown, oh. Patterson Nursery. So yeah. they were probably B&B yeah, it been. put in a container. But anyway, well-drained soil. So that's something fun. If you're looking just something specimen to put in a really cool place. We've got some in some ca- containers. Which, you know, people like that round look in their container, and we're always using a boxwood, basically. Right. And but it'll you could take use the cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm going to tell you, I mean, every day that goes by, it, it seems like I'm liking perennials 
uh, more and more. And, 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 you know, everybody's got to have annuals for their everyday color, and I sure get that. Uh, and, there's, you know, you have to plant annuals. But, man, I've seen some landscapes and, and people's yards, uh, and I'm sure if you go through, through your garden gates today and look at the other, all the other landscapes out there, you'll see a lot of perennials. And the beauty is, you know, they come back every year usually bigger and better. Now, they don't bloom every day like an annual. I was talking to a young lady the other day, and she didn't know the difference between an annual and perennial, which is fine. Um, but I was just explaining the difference. And, you know, she wanted some stuff that was going to bloom every day, like the annuals, Veda. But she wanted some of those perennials, too. Yeah, I'm seeing that a lot more. Well, let's take a break, and we can go back to some mixing some hanging baskets differently that are containers than we used to do. If you have a question, we have time, 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back, Mid-South Gardeners. That's a good beat to garden, too. I can shovel dirt over your head, shovel <laughs> dirt over your shoulder. <laughs> Are we ready? Let's do our warm-ups first. Oh, my God. Stretch. That is they true, really though. are professionals. Don't They're in this business. <laughs> you know? mm. I have to add this side to it because that's another thing. You better stretch before you go out in the garden and just immediately start shoveling. Well, unless you're in shape, you know. <laughs> is anybody in shape? Well, look over here. Gardeners, yeah, there you go. Gardeners are. Boy, gardeners are, really. I, y'all, what about uh, weeds in the in the lawn this time oh, of year? Weeds yes, because people hate weeds, Miss Veda. They you do. Know? Yeah, I agree. I yeah, agree. Yeah, but it's that time of the year when you're going to move away from the, the broadleaf weed killers and move to something like image. So uh, now a broadleaf weed is anything that has a leaf on it, right? And a grassy weed is anything that looks more like a grass. Broadleaf weed yeah, has a. I mean, because but some people just don't realize leaf <laughs> weed. So Jim, you're saying typically, but an onion is a broadleaf weed. So well, that's no, true don't too. Don't do that to me. Why is an onion a broadleaf weed? Because it has, grasses have parallel veins. Okay, whereas broadleaf weeds <laughs> don't. So uh, <laughs> that, that helps me tremendously. Okay. So so <laughs> most people, of course, use a broadleaf weed killer during the spring to kill broadleaf weeds mm-hmm. that has 2,4-D and 2,4-P and those and kind those of are, things. And those are hormones. They were, they're plant hormones, and they make the weed grow so rapidly that the water system right. so you're saying and dies. But not use them now, though. No, because once you start getting temperatures to around 85 some of these products like 2,4-D can vaporize, you know, and it does weird stuff in the wind. So it bypasses your neighbor's house and damages the roses two houses down. And then you complain because that doesn't work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right, so you're saying there are products like Image. Image, right, which will control your broadleaf weeds. <clears throat> It'll control nut sedge, mm-hmm. um, and it works great. Now, but it's different. When you spray... We be gone on an onion in you know thirty six hours. It's curled, curled yeah. and looks like it's doing something. And with the image, you're not going to see anything for a couple of weeks. Okay? It so true. Stops mm-hmm. the cell production down in the meristem, and so it just stops growing. And as it depletes its food, then it dies. 
And that can take a little while, depending on how much water you get, depending on, on the, the temperature. So don't expect it to be dead the next day. Right. And so, I mean, I've heard where, you know, with image, you know, you, you spray your, your lawn, your established lawn, uh, and you can surely use it in Bermuda and soja. You do not want to use it in fescue, in fescue. at all. Uh, and it just, you, it takes time to work. And that's the only drawback with a product like that. And like yeah. everybody else, they want to see it die before they go to bed that night. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we sprayed nutgrass. It took two weeks. Mm-hmm. The, the customer was just, you know, didn't understand. And, of course, you explain it to them. And uh, then you feel a little more peaceful that in about two weeks you're going to see just hay-looking nutgrass. But it came back, of course, sprayed some more. Sometimes right. you have to do, you know, right. don't say, well, this doesn't work. It came back. Yeah. yeah. There's a yeah. nutgrass particularly because it has the nuts underground has a great deal of carbohydrates stored in it. So you can kill the top of it and, and no plant wants to die. It tries yeah. to re-sprout again. Uh, and a lot of what you see is just seedling nutgrass. Yeah. Know? Particularly where you have water that runs through your yard. Right. You'll have this little young nutgrass there, and it's coming up from seed every time the water runs across it. So it's not a one-shot deal. You may have to apply it a couple of times. Right. Now, what so. about is, you know, let's say today if it was going to get to, uh, you know, 90 degrees, okay, or 88 degrees. And you're not supposed to use the broadleaf weed killers when it's above, say, 86 degrees. What if you spray in the morning when it's no. cool? No. Because yeah. a lot of people think they can get away with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I would I'd kind of think that. Yeah. 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 It could, no, it can still vaporize later in the day. Yeah. Because we're spraying yeah. in the, we were thinking we were spraying in the morning to keep it from vaporizing. That's yeah. why we don't spray it in the heat. Years ago, Mark Halcom took me to a field where they had sprayed 2,4-D as a brush killer along a fence. Yeah. There was a road, you know, a tractor road right beside it, and it's like 10 feet wide, and then yeah. there was cotton on the other side of that. Killed the weeds. Cotton looked just fine. But a quarter mile out in the field, there was a low spot. The It had vaporized. You were kidding gone me. Gone out and just dead Settled down. right there in the center. And it was, you know, it taught me, mm-hmm. you know, it can really do weird stuff in the wind. Yeah. Yeah. And you would, most people would think that was a phenomenon, <laughs> what just happened right there in the center. I would go to the soil. UFO landing. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. well, those are true. And we see that, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of people have landscapes on the back of their property. And a lot of times on the back property, they also have a fence back there. Uh, and whether it's, uh, you know, crate myrtles, hydrangeas, whatever. And a lot of times we'll get samples in from those shrubs, from their property boundary lines, okay? And it's, it's herbicide damage. And they're like, well, I haven't sprayed anything. What about your neighbor, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of times the neighbor back there has sprayed close to the property line. And they, you know, the other one's <laughs> shrubs are right on the other side of the fence. And it can happen. So just we're saying if you're spraying to kill weeds, especially when the temperatures start getting around 90 degrees, make sure you read the label, understand what you're using. And if it says do not spray when temperatures exceed 90 Mm -hmm. degrees, go to a different product. Right Now, that's not to say that if you've got a little 24-ounce bottle of ready-to-use stuff, you want to go out there and zap two weeds. That's fine. Spot it treating is not a problem. Not going to be an issue. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it says from like six to eight inches, right. you know, stand back. So don't stand really far and spray it. 
Yeah, so spot and treating spot treating is uh, fantastic, and we really want the homeowners to listen ab- about reading the label and properly applying, because it's actually a lot of people would think it was the farmers that were polluting, but it's not because they guys have know what to go doing. by regulation, and it's it's shown that homeowners are the ones that are overdoing because we're not reading the label or understanding that. So so that way we're almost adding too much to the environment um, for it to process. So you're saying it's the homeowners that are causing a lot of the problems yeah. as far as runoff and all right, of that. Right, right, because we're not <clears throat> reading the label. I mean, you know, we laugh about it. Two tablespoons, it's recommended, but four yeah, it get should surely do yeah. the job. Gets those bugs deader. <laughs> deader, yeah. That's it. So let's go with makes that weed deader. And yeah. let me say this also, not only with the herbicides, and you got to be careful, uh, like Jim was just saying, because evaporation, it can burn. I mean, so many different things evaporation, can happen. Evaporation? I don't know. What's evaporation? It's, it's when you spray a herbicide and it, you, it turns into vapor <laughs> and it moves. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's also insecticides and stuff that we're using. You still, when it, when it gets hot and dry, I tell people two things. One is make sure everything's hydrated before you spray, okay? Because you just don't want everyone to spray anything with anything if it's dehydrated. Secondly, try to spray in the morning or the afternoon, just not during the heat of the day. And if you do that, you're not going to potentially burn, you know, your landscape up. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. So, y'all, pay attention to that. And then some of the nice little, what are you smiling at, Jim? <laughs> I saw that. (laughs) My mama, pay attention to that. (laughs) Y'all heard that. Yeah, yeah. And see, look, I'm taking off a sweater. You made me all. Anyway, um, plants, plants, plants that I've seen that I I like. I want to use more. And I don't know why I'm calling this a box honeysuckle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the bush honeysuckle. Yeah. 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 So it is. I saw it under another name, but I remember box honeysuckle. I like that one. Yeah, me yeah. too. The one that's Baggison's Gold is one of my favorites. It has yeah. gold foliage. Mm-hmm. It's a really pretty that's plant. That's the one. Yeah. 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 And I've got them in little courts because I can't find them in three-gallon and five-gallon. Uh, I've never but seen them in anything larger than gallons. Yeah. Yeah. Five-gallons, they would be pretty. I guess they're not so popular yet. Yeah, could be. But, you know, we used to get some gallons, I think, from Monrovia. Yeah. Uh, and I've got, I actually got quartz from local grower. So, yay, local growers. And um, uh, one other thing I'm really starting to like again is that, or not again, but more so now is the agastache. Mm-hmm. The perennial. Yeah, the perennial. Yeah. It's got a coral color or a purple color. I, I like it. It's it's a more native looking plant. Um, and it's a hummingbird magnet. Yeah, yeah. That's the other one. And see, those aren't red. And, and well, I tell you, is there no? There's not a red. And, and we well, all this one is close. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have a coral, I have a yellow, oh, and I have a blue. Forgot about the yellow. Do you plant them all together, or did you space them? Uh, the blue is separate. In. The other two are within mm-hmm. five feet of each mm-hmm. other. And we all know that what they've done with hydrangeas, kind of what they did to Linton Rose, remember years ago. It used to be there was just one Linton Rose on the market, right? Yeah. Now there's a million. Same thing with hydrangeas, which I think is wonderful, by the way. Uh, we got in some blooming uh, wedding gown uh, mm, hydrangeas this week. And, That's pretty well. Oh, they're unbelievable. And then even the sun-loving. You know, people are so used to the limelights and the little limes. Well, there's the dwarf version called Bobo. 
And we got, uh, you know, some of those in this week that were in full bloom. And people are like, what is this? Mm-hmm. But let me uh, tell you, Bobo gets six feet tall. Yeah, yeah. But it's still, <laughs> I mean, it's it's more of a dwarf, you know, than, let's say, the little limes or the limelights. But those wedding gowns we were just talking about that still go in more shade. Uh, and the blushing bride, you know, that has mm-hmm. that white bloom. It's Love the endless summer one. variety. There's so many hydrangeas to choose from now. Whether you want to put them in the sun, those varieties, or whether you want to still put them in the shade, those varieties, there's a whole lot to choose from. We have the uh, Arva Essence blooming. I said that right. It's got the fuzzy leaf on it. It's pretty close. Pretty, that, I can get away with that one. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm seeing that bloom everywhere, but it doesn't look like your big waxy leaf. Macrophilias. Um, yeah, right. And I like this one because of the foliage. It's a little more flowy. And I, I think it looks real pretty behind boxwoods. I like that look. And some people put them over behind boxwoods because they kind of drape over because it seems like they fall. But the ones that I'm seeing now are so beautiful, just full and as many blooms. But they're white. But So I kind of don't see it as a hydrangea. But yeah. I see it as a nice blooming plant. And I tell you, I'm, I'm beginning to really love the lace cap hydrangeas, too, just as much as I do the ball shape. Uh, it's just, you know, a little different look. The You know, the blooms are around this, like, flat flower head. I would have mm-hmm. thought the ball wouldn't be the only thing you'd have. No, yes. but, I mean, I don't, <laughs> have any, I don't have any lace cap. The man who has round shrubs. But yeah, they are, yeah. but they are, I'm mean, telling you, they are really beautiful. I saw, I was like, stop. Yeah. No, I saw on your, uh, on the Mid-South Gardening Facebook page, I think, and I, and I looked at it and I was like, well, yeah, maybe. Okay, the lace leaf, they were saying, how come one petal on the lace leaf is blooming? Lace leaf her, or lace cap? I mean, lace cap. cap. Okay. Yeah. You know, they've got the little petals off the main part yeah. and one's always missing. That might have been just her experience. But I was like, is that how they are? It might have been just her experience on it. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> the that... brackets on the lace cap. Okay. Uh, do you see how I'm talking? The bracts. The bracts. Mm-hmm. You know, you should be able to read my mind now. But then, of course, <laughs> you got to clarify for everyone else. And so, you know what? We're going to take a break so we can rework this on the break. And we'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. So we were talking about the uh, hydrangeas. Hydrangeas, yeah. And the word was... The florette. One of the florettes around it, yeah, is missing. It's on every one of hers. Right. But I think it's probably not missing. If you would look, you know, when you look at them, there are little groups of the sterile Mm -hmm. uh, blooms inside. And then there'll be one that comes off That's of each of those. But I think what she's seeing is just it's spread apart. It's not really mm. missing. Yeah. Yeah. I have to check that out. Because like I was saying, I saw a few like that at our garden center. But they were in the pathway. And I'm just thinking they're just, you know, knocking them off mm-hmm. the little corners. Must be the fairies in the fairy garden. That well, there you go. And the, and the reason I brought it up while I go about sun and shade is... Don't mess up and put the shade-loving hydrangeas in full sun. Yeah. And then really here. don't mess. No, yeah. not here. And don't mess up and put the ones that need more sun in the deep shade because you're never going to get a bloom. So they need to go where they need to go, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, okay? Yeah. 
because that's where you see the the wilting, especially when you first plant them. And that's all that's that well, happens a lot. I've got some mature ones that still do that. Yeah, they still wilt, wilt in the they summer. They still wilt. They have so bit. much foliage on them mm-hmm. that you know the root system. I'm sure is still quite compact. Yeah, because it's clay down there basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so they're getting as much water as they can, but yeah. they're losing it faster. So they yeah. will. Sun goes down, they pop right back up. Yeah, they and I've really got and I've got one water. on the east side of the house yeah. where it gets full morning sun, and it's been there for for years now. Mm-hmm. It's probably like year six. Uh, and I think this one was called Pistachio. I don't know where my wife got it. I like yeah. that yeah. one. And uh, but I mean, it gets full morning sun, and I know for the first couple of years, maybe three years, it, it burned. I mean, the edge of the leaf, when it got hot in the summertime, it, it was just burning, okay? And I knew that was going to happen. Well, now it's somewhat acclimated to where it is. It's got a much better root system on it now, uh, a lot more foliage on it. And I still get a little droopy, you know, late mm-hmm. in the day when it gets hot, mm-hmm. but it doesn't burn. I'll bet the hydrangea like does, too. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking, Jim. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't droop after three? <laughs> Especially when it starts to get hot. So yeah. that's not un, uncommon or unusual if you get it in a little too much sun. Yeah. Okay? And that's a common thing that happens. So, And we say add some more root stimulator, put some more compost around, see you know, see if maybe you can amend the soil, amend the soil a little bit more. And uh, speak, you were talking way. about root stimulator just then, but it made me think of something. I had a lady come into the garden center, and she had some camellias that she's had in the soil for quite a few years, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're not in the right place, and they don't have great drainage, and they never have done just really well. And she knows that, okay? Well, she started fixing the drainage, and she started, uh, you know, she clipped actually some of the the tree limbs that were way above them to create a little more light in there also. But she has used root stimulator before, and, you know, we all love that product. And then she started using Super Thrive also. Mm. And I'm telling she said, Kenneth, I, I don't know if that's what it is or if it's a combination of everything I've done. She said, but now that I'm also using, she'll, she'll alternate root stimulator one week, Super Thrive the next. She said it has made an unbelievable difference. And the mm-hmm. foliage, just the foliage that's coming out on these camellias, so when we ever talk about the word or the product called Super Thrive, people it looks it looks like snake oil. You know, if you look mm-hmm. at the bottle, it really is a good product. Yeah, it has. I've, it's turned some plants around. I really thought we're going to die. And she was agreed. saying the same thing. Yeah. yeah, agreed. Y'all need to look up Super Thrive and see the history of it. It's really interesting. I've that was like one of the first products I used when I got into the garden center industry and i'm still loving it and i still see good results and mm. now i love it because it has the seaweed in it yeah and, and, and they're <laughs> just because of the names you yeah. know there there's the <laughs> the uh fox farm uh root drench which is a lot of mycorrhiza which is a mm-hmm. wonderful drench to pour around your yeah. roots there's the root stimulators you know that you can buy that has a um uh, Indole 3 butyric acid. Thank you, Jim, which you is a hormone. You just want to say that. That's well, he, all. He, he, he I, made I tapped you. him. I tapped no, him. you did. You did. And then there's Super Thrive, <laughs> and then there's Liquid Seaweed. I mean, all of these products are really good stimulants uh, for root growth. But uh, she, I mean, according to this young lady here who had tried everything on these camellias, uh, she said the Super Thrive is the one product that has truly made a difference in flushing these things back out. Yeah, it's amazing. It's a lot of hormones hormones and vitamins mixed together yeah. Yeah, seaweed it, it smells like baby vitamins like abdex yeah yeah just don't take cod it. liver oil or something in it you whatever what? it is it works you know what we only have like 45 seconds so it's time for us to say 
happy gardening and y'all enjoy your gardening this weekend and check we'll be us back out next week. yeah check us out on podcast um you can listen to and join our Facebook, Facebook group. group. Yeah, you can find Kenneth at Dan yeah. West, me at Palladio, and Jim on the Facebook group. Yeah, and, and Say remember your Facebook thing in that again. Mid South Gardening, Gardening in USDA zones five, six, seven, eight, and nine. You have to add an extra zone. I added two now. more, but I'm killing that. And July one, it's just going to be called Mid South Gardening. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Well, that'll be great for me. Yeah, because you'll remember I that. I still can't <laughs> tell your name of the Facebook page. All right, y'all, have a great week. We will see you next weekend in the Mid South Garden.